Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Monday, March 4th, 2019. I can't believe we're already three months into the new year. Hope you guys had a great weekend. We're ready for an even better week ahead. I got a lot done this weekend for the Big Gay Road Trip in June. Um, if you have a chance, go check out my progress by heading to the, my website, www.leftofstraight.com. Check out the Big Gay Road Trip tags and tabs up there. Um, I'm, there's still the left to build on it, but we're going to let you follow along the trip by seeing who the guests are and what routes we're taking and all sorts of fun stuff right there on the website. Uh, speaking of the Big Gay Road Trip, I'm launching a fun Indiegogo campaign very soon to get some funding for the trip. Um, I need to welcome my first official media sponsors. Um, our partners are going to be Pink Banana Media and I love hashtag I Love Gay Twitter 360 Network. They're going to be helping getting the word out about the Big Gay Road Trip all over the country for us. And then my first gift bag sponsors, CBT Candles in L.A. and Travis Hunt Productions in L.A. are helping to sponsor our gift bags that will be given out to all our guests this year. So we're looking for more sponsors, more media partners. So if you're interested, you can go to the website. Uh, like I said, www.leftofstraight.com. Uh, click on the uh, Big Gay Road Trip icon. Click on the Sponsors icon, and you'll be able to get more information there. It should all be complete by this week. So good time getting all that ready this weekend. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to start the show. It turned out it was going to be a pretty sexy show today with emphasis on the word sex. My first guest today is a gay gringo, Stephen Lee. He's a go-go dancer, model, and now a porn actor who has an amazing story. He started out just two years ago as a local TV meteorologist in Texas, and now he has this entire new um, career. But unfortunately, he was scheduled to go live here in just a couple minutes. He, uh, we got, he got kind of double booked over there and had to get a flight out um, right in the middle of this interview. So he's not on a plane right now. Hopefully he's listening in if he has internet connection up there. But we're going to pre-tape interview this week and have him back next week. But from that sexy start, we're, we're going to go live in just a little bit. Uh, for our second hour, I have YouTube personality and star Davey Wavy coming on. He's going to talk about his career in business. He started Himros.tv, and it's all about sex itself, but in an informative and sexy way. So a big sex show is going to happen today. But my first guest, like I said, we're going to have to postpone. So in its place, since we just found out about 20 minutes ago that he can't come on, I'm going to replay an interview with Jake Biondi from Chicago. Jake has a series of books that are absolutely amazing. And we're going to play his it's the Boys Town series. Um, a lot of great sexy characters there, same-sex characters, married characters, um, the whole nine yards, um, allies in it. But he is on his ninth book that was just published this past December and was a great interview. So I'm going to play Jake Biondi in just a couple of minutes here. 
And then, like I said, around six o'clock in the second hour, we're going to have Davey Wavy himself coming on. So sorry for the last minute switcheroo and guests, but uh, sometimes it can't be helped when you're on a plane and you can't guarantee the internet there. So we will have uh, Stephen Lee, the gay gringo on uh, very, very soon. Take my word for it. He has a fascinating story to talk about that I have been intrigued by for just a couple of years now. Uh, let's go into the news for a little bit. Um, I can't go into the show without acknowledging that we lost Luke Perry today. Of course, uh, Luke Perry was an icon from 90210 uh, back in the day, one of the first kind of rom-com teen soap operas uh, with uh, Shannon Doherty and all of them that are actually being rebooted. And we talked about the other day, uh, he, unfortunately, Luke, um, went into a or had a massive stroke last week and went into a coma. And it just happened to be the same day they announced a reboot of 90210 with a lot of the original stars, Jenny Garth, um, Tori Spelling, all Jason Priestley, all of them. And he had a massive stroke the day of that announcement. He was only scheduled to guest star, maybe. He wasn't one of the series regulars because he has been a series regular on Riverdale, on the CW channel the last three years, uh, doing an excellent job there as Archie Andrews' father. But uh, today he passed. So very sad news for the entertainment industry. He was there with his fiance and his children who were there by his side. So big shout out to him. Very sad. If you um, aren't listening to Standing on My Soapbox, the show that immediately comes before Left a Straight Show here. Uh, my co-host on that, Craig Hurley, actually worked on 90210 with Luke and actually had to beat him up in his guest starring role on 90210 and had a great tribute to him last couple of days, last Thursday, Friday, and today. Craig has done some amazing tributes to Luke Perry. So just want to say how sorry we are for his family, for the entertainment community writ large. Uh, it's a sorry passing. So we're our hot out for his family and well, it is what it is. Um, we, we, we're losing some great stars. We talked about Catherine Hellman of the day with a long career who was on soap and who's the boss. So um, sorry to see River, uh, Riverdale and 902 Luke Perry pass away today. Also in the news, I did want to talk about a happy ending for Seth Owen. I talked about him last year if you don't remember Seth was in the news last year when his parents kicked him out of the house for being LGBT took away his college money so his parents expelled him from the house but he still managed to graduate as a valedictorian from his first coast high school in Jacksonville Florida he then received a full ride scholarship to Georgetown University shortly thereafter and the great news is he was just picked up this year by Representative Stephanie Murphy, who's a um, House of Representatives from Florida. She selected 18-year-old Owen to join her staff from January through the end of the semester, working closely with her and the rest of her congressional staff as an aide. Um, Representative Murphy has lavished praise on the new intern. She's very proud that Seth chose to be part of her team. Um, he'll always be welcomed here, and I'm happy to see him thrive. Their entire office is rooting for his continued success, so that was a great story. Ellen DeGeneres gave him $25,000 donation for Seth to start his own scholarship fund for other people 
who are marginalized and can't attend second, secondary education. So that was a, a very happy and exciting story that I was glad to hear told today. So big, big way to go on that. A couple other things interesting me in the news. Marvel Studios is reportedly seeking a male actor, 30 to 49 years old, who physically looks like a superhero, to play an openly gay lead role in its 2020 film, The Eternals. The studio is open to actors of all ethnicities, but the character will be the first openly gay lead in any Marvel film. And you know what a comic book nerd I am. I'm very excited about that announcement. I think Wilson Cruz has already thrown his hat in the ring on social media, said he'd love to be considered. Um, let me know on social media, who would you like to see? What openly gay actor would you like to see play um, an openly gay superhero in Marvel's The Eternals coming out in 2021, I believe. So they have time to cast it and to film it next year. So that's exciting stuff. And the last thing we'll talk about before we get into our interview with Jake Biondi is Drag Race Season 11 started last Thursday. I'm not sure if you're a fan of the show. I was not the first five years. I just never got into it. I don't watch TV after I've missed the first couple seasons. But once I started the show four years ago, I kind of thought I had to do it as my duty to talk about entertainment on an LGBT talk radio show. So I've been into Drag Race for the last four years now, loving every season since and the All-Stars editions. And season 11 officially kicked off last week with special guest star Miley Cyrus in, who has been such a huge ally to our community. And 11 new queens. Um, it was it was a great, well, I say 11 new, one returning. We had Vanjie come back. She was a surprise comeback for the year, who got voted out as the very first person last season in season 10. And one of the big things that I've been talking about is Nina West, a iconic drag queen from Ohio here. She's based out of Columbus. She's done so much good for the drag and LGBT community, raised over a million dollars with her Nina West Foundation. We're excited. She tried out nine times to be on the show and finally made it on season 11. Uh, we knew she was on the show. It was one of the worst kept secrets in Columbus, but we had no idea how it turned out. Girl, she scared me on Thursday because she was just not confident, not confident in her abilities, not confident in her drag. And it looked like she was going to be going home and she was in the bottom, probably three or four on there, but uh, she did make it through to another week. So I'm hoping she gets her mojo back and we'll see that happening as time goes on here. But yeah, it was a great kickoff to the season. If you're following along, please uh, let me know on social media what you think of it. Whenever you reach out, please catch me on social media. If you're not following me on Twitter and Instagram, it's at left of straight. Always spelled out L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, I have the Left of Straight show and Left of Straight radio. And my personal Facebook is Scott Fullerton. You can always send me over a friend request. I do take most friend requests in there. I like to meet new people. So do that for me. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. We're going to be back uh, in an hour at six o'clock with the Davy Wavy YouTube personality and star. We're going to play a favorite episode of Jake Biondi from Boys Town, the series, a book he's been writing now. Uh, it's ninth edition. This came out in December. We're going to have Stephen Lee, the gay gringo on very soon. We're sorry he had to catch a flight last second. Hope he's listened to this online and we'll be back in this little bit. Let's play a, a song and we'll bring in Jake Biondi on 
So you're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Blog Talk Radio. It's not like you know me. I live in the world of green. Too bad at painting the dream. But if you really know me, I'm it out in the flesh. I'm here because I'm getting it. I'm gonna turn the tide. I'm gonna live my life the way I want. The way I want. Online roots of Boys Town began back in 2013. The boys and a few girls of Chicago's famed neighborhood has endured explosions, fires, plane crashes, and more. As the story's author Jake Biondi has taken his love of our favorite soap operas like Days of Our Lives and Dynasty and used them to infuse drama and cliffhangers into some wonderful characters, both very sexy and intriguing. 
as he ready season nine to launch in the book series in December and with a possible television series being shopped around, I'm happy to welcome the man of the mayhem, Mr. Jake Biondi, for the first time here to the Leftist Trade Show. How you doing, my friend? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Welcome to the show. I have lots of listeners who are in love with your book series and Nine seasons in five years is quite an accomplishment, my friend. How's everything in beautiful downtown Boys Town today? Uh, today it's sunny and we're ready for fall. And, yeah, it's been definitely a, a fun ride with the books from minute one till now. Well, I can't wait to talk all about it. It's a fantastic series. But first time on the show, I'd like to start back to the beginning. Talk a little bit. You were born on the outskirts of, of Chicago a bit. Talk about growing up there and what kind of a kid were you? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs, close to Chicago, just a few minutes outside, and um, just a you know normal kid, uh, Italian Catholic family growing up, you know, local high school, and then college out of state for a little bit, and then back in Chicago, and been living in Boys Town uh, really ever since, probably for the last 25 years or more, and um, you know, just because of friends and family in in the hood, that sort of a little bit of the inspiration of the book series. Nice. And when did you come out to yourself as gay and, and realize that you were part of it? Um, I was, well, I mean, I knew that I was gay a lot earlier than I came out. So, um, you know, I knew early <laughs> on in high school, but uh, a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of the coming out process. So probably in my early 20s uh, is when I finally came out and told my family and friends and uh, went through that whole process. I know that nowadays people are doing it a lot earlier, but for me it was a little bit late. I hear you. I, I am of the certain generation myself where it took a while for all that to happen, so I definitely understand. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can't believe when I, you hear on TV and you read articles of these brave 13-, 14-year-olds and younger that know what they're doing, and it's, just, it's crazy that uh, we've gone such a long way in such a short period of time, but it's kind of cool to see as well. Oh, yeah, really cool. Now, you talked about going to school out of state. I mean, you went to Notre Dame and graduated with an English and business degree, then to Loyola School of Law graduate from University of Chicago. How did someone go from law to writing? Did you make your mama proud and study law for a while, or what was your trajectory to get to being a writer? Well, I've been a writer. I mean, I've always been writing my entire life, stories and plays and scripts and all kinds of things all along so that wasn't really like a, a transition in terms of like after law school then this started it's been happening all along i wrote a lot uh, in college um and you know won a couple of playwriting awards in in at notre dame which was great and then um just continued but i really hadn't published anything until the boys town series and i really hadn't even intended on publishing it because um, as you think you know, I just I wrote the first chapter of the book and just put it online to see sort of what people's responses would be or if anyone would even, would even read it at all. So my intentions were never to really publish it in book form or anything like that. It was um, actually fans that reached out that said after you know a while online, you know why don't you publish these in books? Why are they online? Um, so that's where the idea came from. It was never my intention from the beginning. Right, and I love that part of the story. I mean, it's just amazing. You listen to your fans so well, and we'll talk about that more later. You even have asked for fan response on the website and have a lot of feedback, which I really like a lot. But talk about that. I mean, you started out, like you said, as a test online. Um, 
Where did the characters come from, though, originally? Did you have – were these based on some people you know, or was it something that you've always had kind of just through your observations of living in the city? Or where did these uh, characters first come to, to fruition in your mind? Well, like you mentioned in the intro, I've always been a soap drama fan. So whether it's daytime or nighttime, um, primetime soaps and dramas, that kind of stuff. And I just always thought that it would be fun to have – one that was just more gay-based than straight-based. So um, that's where the idea of doing the series to begin with came from, is just inspired by all those shows that I grew up with um, and really enjoyed and had fun with. And then in terms of specific characters and stuff, I just started to think about, you know, what do you need for a successful series? You sort of need a core family and a core group of friends, like you saw, you know, whether it's the groups of friends on, like, the sitcom Friends or the friends from Sex and the City, you know, you need a core group. So I came up with uh, Mancini family first, uh, the three brothers and a couple of their friends living in Boys Town here. And, you know, I think that any author puts a little bit of themselves into all the characters, and, of course, I'm sure some sure. of my friends friends' personalities have crept into them as well over time. <laughs> um, and then, you know, like any good drama, I, you know, you take a sort of a everyday or real-life situation and amp it up a thousand percent to make it uh, crazy twists and turns and very high drama. And so that's really where it started. And I, I thought, well, let me just write one little chapter, about ten pages or so, um, introducing the characters and giving a little bit of storyline and put it online. So I put it, I think, on three sites just to see if anyone even would even read. And I thought, well, if somebody re reads it, then maybe next month I'll do the next chapter. And almost immediately people started emailing or, you know, posting responses that they really liked the characters, they they could relate to this one or that one, and they wanted to know more, and they wanted, didn't want to wait a month. And so all of a sudden, you know, in a good way, I was accelerated and pushed sort of to release things more quickly. So I started, you know, the next chapter and then the next chapter. And each time I put a different one out there, more and more people responded, which was really cool. Uh, and then eventually, sure. like I said, they were the ones that, that said, you know, well, why don't you put this in a book form instead of just online? Um, and so that's when, that's how the book started. That's great. And then just for, just in case people have not read the series yet, and guys, I recommend you do. It's fantastic. We're into ninth season coming up in December that I want to talk about. But, but give everyone a quick overview, maybe season one overview of the initial characters and your central characters right now. Okay, well, the, the first book introduces, like I mentioned, the Mancini family. There's Justin, who's sort of the recluse who we don't really know a lot about he's the more mysterious character who comes in later towards the end and he's um from california he's got his own past that we find out about derek and Emmett are the other two brothers that are more in the story right from the beginning derek is married to joyelle but he's got some secrets on his own and also um he goes to boston for a business trip and hooks up with a young guy named cole behind his wife's back um, and then Emmett is the youngest of the three brothers, just the sort of really nice, you know, almost the hero of the family. Uh, he's dating Keith when the series opens. They live in Boys Town. Keith is very sarcastic and funny, and uh, Emmett is much more grounded. And so basically we start with those three, and, they're, and you know, they're, they're partners or friends, and then eventually we meet like I said, Cole, who hooks up with uh, Derek in Boston, but he's from Chicago, and his r college roommate, 
uh, Jesse Morgan, and they wind up sort of enmeshed in the Mancini business, and eventually um, there's a, the older couple that's friends of theirs, Logan and Max, that are having their own issues. Logan has an alcohol issue, um, and their relationship is sort of on the rocks. And so the the first book really focuses on that core group of friends and how they all interact and lots of twists and turns in terms of uh, there's a mystery about Jesse's parentage. There's the whole, you know, Cole and Derek and his wife, Joelle, love triangle that goes on. There's um, a blast from the past from Keith. So all of that sort of builds all through book one into the cliffhanger. And then like every good soap opera, each of the books ends with, uh, either one huge cliffhanger or several individual cliffhangers uh, to bring people back for the following book. We'll talk about that in a second. Was that always in your mind, the cliffhangers, because of the soap opera background, or did that just kind of uh, uh, happen naturally to keep it up? But uh, the cliffhangers are just amazing each year. I mean, they, may, they, they top themselves every year. Yeah, they, no, they, they were always part of the plan. I and I ended the very first chapter with a sort of little cliffhanger that was how I was going to see if people wanted me to do chapter two or not so each chapter in the books ends with sort of a smaller one like you would an episode of a soap opera and then of course the the books themselves end with huge ones like the end of a season on a tv show uh to keep people interested over the gap between the publications of the books so it's always been a part of the you know I think part of the format and um you know they get more and more crazy as the series goes on, which is what people people love. I love getting emails from <laughs> the readers course. that say like, "I didn't expect, yeah, I didn't expect that coming. I didn't see that coming." Um, and the readers' responses to them have been really interesting too. I've met, you know, in quotes, met over email and online, lots of fans from all over the country, and everybody has uh, such interesting responses to not only the cliffhangers but the characters and, and the couples and what I do with the couple. So it, I'm always interested slash surprised by some of the people's pretty passionate reactions to either me bringing a couple together or me breaking up a couple. Um, people right. are always emailing with their suggestions, who they want to see paired up with who. So it's really fun. It's been very interactive, which has been great. Well, and I love that part. Like I said, I talked about it earlier. I think that it's fantastic. And as you add these, characters to the series over the the nine years here um they're very organic to the story but then you do listen to the fans and you've kept some around because of the fans and you you're really interactive with that um describe how that process works for you as a writer yeah the first person that the first character well the first character that it happened with was Michael Martinez, he's a police officer in the Chicago PD, and I only needed a police officer in book one to come in for a certain storyline, and he was just going to be like a very minor character. And people really thought that they liked the sense of humor, and they really were just intrigued by the idea of the police officer. And so he, in book two, became a main character, and he's uh, survived all the way through book nine. So that was the most dramatic example of something that I had not intended for it to be a main character, but the fan, fans wanted him, and so I kept him. Um, and then the other one was a couple just of Emmett and Keith, uh, which people had emailed me calling Kemet. And um, by the end of book <laughs> one, they like are on the on the rocks and having issues. And I had no idea that people would be so upset with me sort of 
breaking them up a little bit and playing around with them. Right. Uh, but they were, and a lot of people wanted them back together immediately. <clears throat> Other people understood that it's a soap opera. You're never going to have everybody happy. Um, <laughs> and then Nicole and Joelle and Derek's storyline. Tons of people have reached out to say that they can relate to Derek, the you know the guy who's living a straight lifestyle in the closet, and um, you know some people have been very sympathetic to Joyelle and the things that the wife goes through in this process. Some people have been very supportive of him being with Cole because that's who he really wants to be with. Uh, so the response to those characters and that relationship has been really intense as well, and they go through a lot of ups and downs all the way through, you know, what's about to be book nine. Right. And I love that even though this is definitely a gay-centric story, the entire thing resolves around the boys' town. You do write strong women characters, too, and I think you've really brought Joyelle to life, and you have another female character you've added later on. So I love that you write equally for everybody. That's kind of cool. I really enjoy that. Yeah, and you know what? The Boys' Town neighborhood has become a lot more diverse, and it evolved just in the time that I've lived here. And so since the the city is really a character in the books very much, um, I thought it was important to reflect that diversity. The Boys Town neighborhood itself is becoming more and more straight all the time. And, um, you know, I think the books need to reflect that. So there are the straight characters that exist, female and male, throughout the book series. Um, and some people come and go, and some people are constant. But I wanted it to reflect the neighborhood as it is, and, and the reality is, is that it gets more diverse all the time. Right, right. I love that. That's fantastic. And then uh, talk about um, the fan survey, too. We're talking about the fans' reaction and everything. You actually have a fan survey on your website. Do you get a lot of feedback through that, or does it just happen as the books come out, you see it for the first couple months, or uh, are you always – Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, I, I tend to change things. Yeah, I tend, I tend to – well, both. I tend to change the questions and stuff on the surveys with each book that comes out so that there's something new for the veteran readers to respond to and then something for the new readers also. Um, So it tends to come in spurts. Like I have, uh, you know, I've got people that right when they know the series, they start giving me lots of feedback. And then immediately after each book comes out because, um, you know, that day that the release day of the books, you know, some people download immediately and read right away. And so I usually get an influx of emails or comments then um, because people have just read and reacted. And other people, since they know there's going to be a gap between the books, um, deliberately read the books slower so that they can sort of last a little bit, and then they uh, will respond after that. But, you know, and then I can randomly get responses every now and then in between the books. But I just, I love, you know, I made a promise to myself from the beginning that anybody that emailed me about the books or commented about the books, I would respond, even if it took a little time, because I hate the idea of people, you know, sending out information or feedback or just comments and it feeling like it goes into the abyss and nobody ever sees it. So um, I respond to everything that I get. That's amazing. I love that. And then uh, talk about uh, taking clues from fans and real life. I love how you've kind of done your pay it forward campaign. You've included some friends and people you admire into the book. Talk about that a bit and how these people came into the story. Oh, this, that has been I got that has been one of the most fun parts of the series, other than hearing from people that I haven't met who like the books, because people have been really, especially like local Chicago people, have been so amazingly 
supportive. So a couple examples. Amy Armstrong has been a singer in a cabaret group here in Chicago, and then, you know, lucky for her, broader than Chicago. She's in Mexico now. She's in uh, the Midwest, all over the place. She's been an amazing, fun singer and entertainer. And she just has been so supportive that she would always take a few books to her um, performances and give them out just as, you know, prizes or gifts or giveaways just to support the books. And I didn't really have a way to thank her except to write her in. So she appears as herself in several of the books just at gala events as a performer. Um, And my promise to all these people always is, is that, they will never be caught in the crossfire of like a shooting or something like that <laughs> in the books. They are there just to be celebrated. So she's in a lot of the books. My friend Dino Benvenuti, he is an amazing artist, and he's done a lot of artwork and things for me personally and been a great support of the of the books. And so whenever the, an artist needs to be commissioned in the books or portraits need to be done in memory of somebody who dies or something as part of the storylines, we bring Dino in. Um, I think he's even going to be doing like a special edition book cover coming up, so that'll be fun for the Boys Town series. Um, my friend uh, Chadwick Stat, he's a singer and he's um, you know performs at a lot of the bars here, and he's been greatly supportive. So he appears as himself, sort of a friend of the family that comes in and out again to perform at weddings and things like that. So. That's been my, you know, small way of saying thank you to a lot of people that really didn't have to do anything for me, um, but have been really supportive and talking things up and, like I said, passing out books or spreading the word on social media and things like that. And so one way that I can thank them is um, to write them in. And then the other thing, which is newer, and you're going to see, I think, some subtle changes to some of the book covers coming up in the next month. Not not a massive redo, but some subtle ones, because another way that I can thank some people who have been really supportive is to feature them on the covers. So um, Jake Jensen, who has been an amazing actor and a great friend of mine, who's been really, really supportive, um, he just did a photo shoot for the books, and so he's going to be um, put on several of the book covers, some of the old ones on the ninth one as well. Um, and some of the Andrew Christian models who are friends of mine who have been really supportive and Andrew Christian just as a company has been really supportive. So some of their uh, models are featured on the books and will be featured on more of the books coming forward. Um, Matt Bailey, who's a friend of mine, who's an actor on the Chicago PD and med and the whole series of TV shows. Um, he's been great. So he's going to appear on a couple covers. So again, I'm just trying in the best way I can to pay forward my not only success, but just my gratitude for the help that I've gotten from all these people. They've become really great personal friends, too. Um, so these are, this is my way of saying thanks. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. And I like that transition into the book covers, too, because your book covers are amazing. Of course, I did notice the Andrew Christian models. Andrew's been on my show. He's a good friend of the show. He helped sponsor my Palm Springs trip. I love Nick. Nick Mascardo has been on my show. He's one of my favorite of the boys down there, and I saw him recently. So I love how you incorporate all these great-looking men into the book, and hopefully we're going to talk about that in a second, about or maybe some for the series later on. But what uh, I like that you update the, the previous books, too, with new models. That's kind of a fun idea as well. Yeah, you know, the first set of books, um, the first set of covers I thought were nice. And, again, it's weird because this is a a book series that doesn't really fall in any genre other than the fact that it's LGBTQ 
literature, it's not really only a romance or only a mystery or only a this or that. So the covers, I think, I wanted the covers to almost reflect more like you would a series of DVD covers of a TV show where you would see sort of the cast members, um, some of them repeated all the way through and some of them um, just appearing on one or two. So Corey from uh, Andrew Christian has been a great friend of mine for a long time, and he's sort of the veteran um, Andrew Christian model that's been really the the head of the team of, the, of Boys Town Boys, if you want to call him that, from the beginning. So he's been around and a friend of mine for the entire time. And then uh, Pablo Hernandez, too, a great friend, and he's been so supportive. So Corey and Pablo appear on the books and will appear on more of the books. Nick is a newer member of the Boys Town team and, again, great guy. So um, he will be appearing on them. And then, you know, we're just trying – this this – new sort of updated version that's coming out. It's not a massive redo or anything. The covers will all basically be the same, but just subtle changing out some of the faces on it. Um, and, again, my way of saying thanks to people who have been greatly supportive. So, uh, And maybe we'll see some of these guys in the TV series once we launch it. Who knows? That would be amazing. And let's talk about this series in a second. I mean, it's being shopped around right now. Um, are you, what's your plans? Are you going to start from season one, uh, just start with those characters and build as you have the books, or do you like some of the characters that you've had, added later on that you'll bring back to the very beginning, or what's, what's your ideas right now for the series? It's going to be a little bit of both, I think. It's gonna, I think it's going to be basically, I'm calling it inspired by the books, um, so it's going to mm-hmm. basically follow the book um, storylines. It's going to be basically of the same characters. However, like you said, because it's a TV series, we're going to have the ability to maybe introduce some of the characters that come later in the series earlier. Um, and also because, of course, like any good soap in the books, some characters die along the way. Some people, some characters live the entire time. And so depending on the actor and the audience response to the TV show, maybe we won't kill people off in the same way or maybe we'll keep people around a little bit longer. So it will give us the flexibility to make some changes. But the core of the books is basically going to be um, the core of the series. And so right now we, you know, I have a couple of directors and a couple of producers who are interested in the series. They've read the books. They're big fans of the show and they really think of the series and think it would be a great show. Lots of actors have come forward. Uh, Matt and Jake are just two of them, but others as well. And, um, so, and then we'll probably have to do a little fundraising or get some investors involved just to get the pilot shot and get it off the ground. But the interest is really high, which is awesome, and the fans are certainly there ready to go. Like, they're the ones demanding it. So it's nice, I think, to be able to tell any network that, well, we've got a built-in audience of fans, and it's a diverse appeal. Um, the interesting thing about the books, too, even though it, they're gay-based, I would say probably 75% of the readers are women, um, soap opera fans in particular. So that the thing I love about soap opera fans, and I'm one of them, is that we are addicted to our shows, right? We follow the characters wherever they go, right. the ups and downs. But also like when an actor leaves the soap and they show up on a nighttime TV show or a movie or something, they bring their fans with them because the fans are really dedicated to the actors as well as the characters. So... I feel like having that built-in reading base of soap opera people that love the Boys Town books, they will hopefully come on over to the series and 
on TV, and we'll have a nice built-in audience just to start with and then build on that. Right, and that was actually going to be one of my follow-up questions, how many you thought were women percentage, because I do know I've talked to a lot of gay porn writers, too, and they said most of their readers are women. It's very surprising the women really get involved in these strong male characters, don't they? They do. I think they like the twists and turns. I think that, um, you know, obviously men and women like to read, but I think that, in my experience anyway, women tend to be a little bit more um, open to try something new or to try a book that maybe they're not sure about right off the bat and give it a shot. And so um, they've been incredibly supportive. And people that have done, like, online book tours for me, they tend to be women, people that have been – you know, the reviewers of the books and, you know, most of my rev- the reviews I've gotten have been amazing all over Amazon and some personal and private blogs and things like that as well. They're, they tend to be a lot of the women readers. Um, they're very enthusiastic. They're very supportive. I'm very grateful to them. And so it's nice to have a diverse group of fans and then also reflect that diversity in the characters. So like I said, I always want to have you know, characters that people can connect with of all different ages and races and sexual orientation and gender, the whole thing. That's fantastic. And I also, like like you said, you have Chadwick there, and you, you've made friends with Steve Grant, and you might be able to bring them into the music on the series, too. That could be a fantastic venue for them. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah, it would be really fun to have someone like uh, Chadwick or Steve Grand or Taylor Olson's also in the books, any of them that have been really supportive and, again, like popular gay singers that would um, could come up with a theme song for the show because the show's going to need a theme song or even appear as themselves, um, you know, in the, sh- in the series, you know, performing in the background at the bar scenes or the club scenes or the wedding scenes or whatever. Like, that would be incredible. I always joke with Corey, like, you know what? There's a lot of scenes at the bar. You're a bartender. Let's get you in the show as it, playing yourself, pouring the drinks. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a real quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about Season 9, going to be released in just a few short months. I also want to talk about the new series, Majesty, that I read the first sample chapter of, and an amazing piece of work, my friend. We're talking right now to Jake Biondi from the Boys Town series. We're going to play a little bit of True Colors by our buddy Jenna Ushkowitz, who will be on the show in just a couple of short weeks. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds. You're listening to the Left of Straight show on Blog Talk Radio. Never let anything distract you from winning. Ever. You with the Take courage in a world full of people. You can lose sight of it all in darkness, still inside you make you feel so small. But I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors, and that's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show. Show me 
are back. That is our buddy Jenna Ushkowitz from Glee singing True Colors. She's going to be on the show in just a few short weeks and catching us up with what she's been doing all summer. Guys, we're talking to the incredible prolific writer Jake Biondi from Chicago, whose book Boys Town, all about that neighbor of Chicago, is on its ninth season coming out in December. Um, you had a big mystery in season eight. Talk about season nine. We're going to be keep going into the mystery, and what are we uh, looking forward to seeing here? Well, like all the books, season nine starts with a sort of quick recap of the cliffhangers from season eight and then goes through the resolution of them. Um, some things are resolved very quickly so that people can get on with their lives. Some things are re- <laughs> re- sort of resolved a little more slowly. Uh, the mystery of um, a killer that was on the rampage sort of in season eight continues into season nine. Um, and we've got, so we've got a couple of mysteries that linger into season nine and um, don't get resolved right away. And then it's a couple of cliffhangers that get resolved right away. We have a new introduction of a new character in season nine, Masood Ahmed, who is a realtor developer. Um, and so we, we're, he's sort of immediately connected with the Mancinis and the Ciancios, trying to get them to invest in a huge Chicago-based real estate development. Um, but, of course, there's twists and there's a history there that we don't find out right off the bat. Um, we have a couple happy uh, happy events right at the beginning, which is nice because we don't want everything everyone's lives to be completely tragic all the time. So there's a couple fun things, and then um, we go right in. And then I think the thing that's going to stun the readers this time will be the ending because rather than doing like a cliffhanging ending uh, to book nine, I'm doing a cliffhanging chapter. So the entire 10th chapter of the book is going to be like a complete trip for the fans. Oh my goodness. That sounds fun. Yeah. So it's going to be, I think something that nobody expected and nobody saw coming and it's really going to change the course of the book series. So that's why in my little teasers that I'm saying about the book, I keep saying like, is this the end or is it just the beginning? So, um, I think it's a. I came up with the idea a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, let's go for it. Um, so, if if the t- TV series launches, it'll be interesting to see if they get this far to see how they'll handle this. But um, it's it'll be easier in the book version to do it. But nonetheless, it's gonna I think leave fans reeling and then begging for season ten. <laughs> so. We'll see how it goes. I love it. I always keep them asking for more. I love it. That's, that's right. Fun. That's right. It's It's been fun writing it. <laughs> and then along with this, like I teased before the break there, you started a new series, Majesty. It's a period piece, five brothers and a twin sister who are royals. Talk about where this series came from. I love the first chapter. So well, thank you. Yeah, this is, I always thought it might be fun to do a period piece, and again, something that would be gay-based. And of course, I've always been like a Tolkien fan, Lord of the Rings, and a Hobbit, um, and you know the the Chronicles of Narnia. I grew up with those, and then of course, everyone's into Game of Thrones. And so I thought, hmm, you know, what do I want to do here? I do I want to do a fantasy period piece, or do I want to do just a period piece? Because 
when I was talking about it with friends, some of them, you know, were waiting for dragons and that kind of stuff, and others were like, no, 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 we want something that's just more like historical. So um, I decided to do like a hybrid and do a period piece that's fictional, um, but it's not fantasy, so there won't be dragons and things like that. But there will be, um, as you know from reading the first chapter, a character here or there that are a little bit on the cusp. So you you met the one character that's a little bit like a fortune teller, kind of a witch almost. Right. Um, yeah, so you'll see her, and then this, the whole thing just begins. The whole first book is called The Death of the King, and it begins with the king being murdered, and we spend book one, or we will spend book one, um, trying to figure out who killed him. Everybody's got a motive, uh, from his own family members to some of his subjects and things like that. And then um, we will end with a cliffhanger, of course, again, because I want to do it more, again, as a continuing series. So once book nine of Boy's Son is done, I'm going to go back to finishing that. So hopefully that will be out in the spring, um, and then we'll get fans excited about it so that's why even though i have several chapters of it written already i wanted to release the first one online just to get people's input and feedback and comments and then i could sort of alter things based off the feedback before it's published so i appreciate you filling out one of those uh questionnaires because your feedback was amazing and all that stuff will help me when i'm doing editing and then preparing it for publication well, I loved it. I appreciate it. I did give a little bit of feedback. There wasn't too much to give. Um, I can't wait for the model. These are more beefier models here. I don't know if you could be able to use the Andrew Christian. You're going to have to find some of the uh, – I don't know who to find. These guys uh, sound amazingly ripped-up muscle guys. Well, you know, it's the Middle Ages. <laughs> so everything is physical. Right. <laughs> Well, I do love it again. It sounds like you have another strong female character. I love the twin sister. It's going to be a fun oh, yeah. plot going on with her and her brother. That's going to be very interesting. I love it so far, my friend. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. It's going to be fun for sure. When do you think you're going to launch that? Um, probably the spring. Very cool. It'll depend on how much and time I've talking... got to work on it. Probably December, you said, for season nine, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah, Christmas time. Well, man, thanks for talking about it. I can't wait. I hope all my listeners will get as deeply involved in the stories as I've become. I want to finish with something a little fun. Back in 2014, you did a little interview with Gay Star Travel about some of your favorite places of Chicago. As you know, I've been traveling and uh, spent the last – I did 2,000 – or excuse me, 7,200. 248 miles on my car over the last six weeks. Oh, my God. Going on a big circular tour of the country. And believe it or not, Chicago is the place I have not got to spend more than a couple hours in an airport with. So oh, wow. I want to you find it out. That. I think I'm going to have to bring bring the show to Chicago. We'll have to have some of your favorite people on and do a uh, – you can co-host with me. We'll do a couple live oh, shows that'd be in fun. Chicago. That would be totally fun. That would be a blast. But let's talk about this. We talk about uh, back in and, and Chicago's like any city. One of the things I hate about the, the my favorite big cities like New York, I'll go there and find a favorite, favorite place. I'll go back the next year and it won't be there anymore. So it'll be interesting to see who's still around and who's not here from 2014. But back then you said one of your favorite gay bars, even though there's a lot of good ones. There was a great comedy night at a place called Sidetrack. And a couple of great new bars, Progress and Replay. Are any of those still around? 
And they're what's your also around, new actually. favorite gay bar? Well, yeah, awesome. so they're also around. And then I would say if I had to say a new one since then that's a favorite is Splash. Um, so that's a fun one that just opened this summer. And a friend of mine is the manager there, and he's it's a great, fun venue, and it's crowded all the time now. And they, actually, Amy Armstrong has performed there. We mentioned her earlier. And they have a variety of different sort of theme nights, and it seems to be doing well. So that would be, if I had to update my favorite new one, that would be the new one. Nice, and I am a huge foodie, and back then your favorite meal came from a Ristorante Donato. I love Italian. Is it still around, or where's your favorite? It is uh, still around, and it was absolutely still around. Um, And I would also add to that, you know, RPM Italian, which is a fabulous restaurant, uh, a little bit more upscale and and very fun. Corey was in town actually uh, in August, and I took him there for dinner. So that was fun. And um, there's a lot. I mean, Chicago is such a great food town. There's always new stuff opening over and over and over again. And, you know, I just happen to have an affinity for Italian food, but I do love all of it. So I'd add that one to the list. And I am a big breakfast person. You were you were touting brunch at Taverna of 750. What's a great breakfast place these days? Well, Taverna of 750, unfortunately, is not in existence anymore, so that's one that we've lost. But I would say Hutch. Hutch is a great brunch place, and it's got three locations now, so one here in Boys Town and then one further north and one further south, and they have amazing food. And they serve, actually, I think they serve brunch every day. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And let's see what else. Oops, go ahead. No, no, that was that. was gonna say that's my brunch choice. Nice. And uh, favorite festival you like the Halstead Market Days? Uh, you just had uh, was that just the one recently? What was the festival you just had recently there? Yeah, the Market Days is always like the, I think the first or second week of August. So we just had that. So people come in from all over the country. That's actually where Corey was in town. And then, uh, so that's a huge one. It's bigger than Pride, actually. Um, So people come from all over for that. It's a big fest outside, and then there's parties at night and all kinds of stuff. So that's probably the most famous and biggest. I think it's the biggest. They say it's the biggest street festival in the Midwest. Nice. And then back then, your your favorite hotel was uh, the Wit. You said there's a great rooftop lounge there. If I'm going to come stay in town, is that the place to stay, or is there a good LGBT-friendly hotel I should be finding? Where should I stay in town? Well, I think, I mean, like, that, the wit is still there. It's really fun and trendy, and has a great, does have that great rooftop deck still. Since then, there's been a bunch of boutique motels and other motels have open, hotels that have opened. And then the other thing since that article is that all around Wrigley Field has been redeveloped since that article was published. So they redid Wrigley Field itself, but they did all, redid all the Boys Town neighborhood around Wrigley Field. So there's a whole bunch of new hotels and restaurants and clubs all around Wrigley, including a new park that they installed where they have like ice skating in the wintertime and you can hang out there and have coffee in the summertime. And they have like a, a Chris Kringle Mart kind of thing at Christmas time. So they've redone that whole area around Wrigley Field, and there's a whole bunch of hotels and clubs and restaurants there that are all worth checking out. Nice. And you also said back then your favorite time of year is Christmas time. Is Christmas still your favorite time of year? In oh, Chicago? yeah. Christ- that's why, there, that's why there's so much Christmas stuff in the books, because I love it. Um, and we're, you know, I love fall, too. We're in fall now. And then, you know, things will start popping up. Michigan Avenue, the Michigan Avenue Parade, the Lincoln Park Zoo at the Zoo Light Festival, 
Um, Navy Pier does all kinds of stuff. Just, I mean, it's just a great time of year to be here. It's like festive and fun and all kinds of stuff going on. So it always will be, I think, my favorite time. Fantastic. And last but not least, your favorite hidden treasure back in the day was the Elixir Martini Bar and the North Pond Cafe. Any new favorite hidden treasures you found in your exploring? Well, Elixir, Elixir is still there, and they actually have a second location now since that article. So that's that's fun. Um, I don't know if it's a hidden treasure, but the Lakefront Restaurant, which they just opened this year, that's out on uh, sticks out into Lake Michigan near the Lincoln Park Zoo, is fun because you can see a whole while you're eating the view of the entire skyline and that kind of thing. They're redoing the entire well, Sears Tower, Willis Tower, however you want to refer to it, is getting a huge multi-million-dollar renovation. They're putting a huge, like. Uh, six or seven, I think, story uh, atrium around the base of it, including a big food court and stuff, so that might be fun. And the river walk's amazing, too, along the Chicago River that they've just been adding to. So lots of new things since that article in 2014. Um, And then a lot of the things are still present that I mentioned back then. Nice. Well, like I said, I'm going to have to make a concerted trip out there. We're going to have to have you on as a co-host, and we'll do a couple of fun shows for Chicago. I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be great. I look forward to that. It'll be really fun. All righty. Well, Jake Biondi, I appreciate it. The uh, season nine of Boys Town is coming out in December. Majesty coming out next uh, spring. Go ahead and give everyone where they can find you, your website, your social media addresses for Boys Town, and where can they get a hold of you guys? Yeah, the main website is just boystowntheseries.com. Um, and they can see all the information on the book series there. They can order directly from there, and it's, of course they're available on Amazon and iTunes and all those sites as well. And then if they want to get a hold of me, I can be. My Instagram is um, at Jake Biondi, and I also have at Boys Town the Series on Twitter, Facebook, and you can email me right through the Boys Town the Series dot com website too. So any of those places would be great places to check out the series and get in touch with me if they needed to. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you, my friend. We are going to Same keep here. in touch. I want to have you back on when we find out more about the series. If we do a little crowdfunding. We'll have to help out to the radio show there, and we will definitely get out there to have you co-host sometime soon. That's awesome. It's just been really fun. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you very much, guys. Guys, we've been listening to fantastic Jake Biondi. Check out the series, Boys Town. You can order it on Amazon now. Uh, find it at your favorite bookstores. Ask them to carry it if they don't. And uh, be sure to look for the series coming out of sometime soon and the new series, Majesty Next Spring. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a couple of minutes. Davey Wade.
All righty, we were back. That's another selection of Matthew Oshetsky, the shirtless violinist. Guys, speaking of shirtless, we have Davey Wavy on here who made a name for himself with these great videos and now has moved on wow. to so many great Taking things. Taking a bear. <laughs> well, what the heck? Every once in a while, you just have to. Um, yeah, right. Since you're our first-time guest, so let's start with a little background. Talk to me a little bit. Where did you grow up? What kind of a kid were you and what do you want to be when you grew up? Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay, so when I I grew up in Rhode Island and um, to like a very conservative Catholic family, and uh, when I was in elementary school in fifth grade, this is this is really embarrassing. We had to go to school dressed <laughs> as our hero, dressed as our hero. And now, granted, this is I was born in 1983, so what? This is probably like 1995 or something. And right. of all the people in the world. Who do I go to school dressed as? It, it like and it, it literally hurts me to admit this. Donald Trump, my hero, no. Donald Trump. Isn't that? Don't tell like, me that. It's it, it's hard to say without vomiting, and I I think I had a very different understanding. My only perspective of who Donald Trump was is that I thought he was rich, and when I was a kid, apparently that's what that's what I thought was important. Well, you and I, I don't know. Apprentice. No, it was, girl, this is way before The Apprentice. This is like, I don't know. I, don't, I guess because he was just like a playboy socialite. So I went to school in like a suit with a really bad comb over. And I had those oh, gold God, chocolate so coins that you get for like, you know, the gold chocolate coins you get for Hanukkah. Um, and I was right? like tossing them out to my classmates, um, which of course Donald Trump would never do because he's like the least generous person in the entire world. Um, exactly. But yeah, I like to think I've come a long way. <laughs> said, um, yeah, I think you have. Proud Good to say you. he's not my hero anymore. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, is really so. the best answer to that question ever. So yeah, that's kind of cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually um, the worst answer to that question ever. But <laughs> <laughs> and talk about when did you first come out to yourself and to others? Yeah, so. Uh, I, I didn't catch the end of that question. Like you said, when did I come out to to my family? Yeah, when did you first come out to yourself first, and then to other people? Well, when I was in um, sixth grade, my aunt introduced me to a friend of hers who was gay, and my mom said she explained to me she was like, you know, um, your aunt's friend he has a husband because some men are with other men; they get married to other men. And I, I don't, they weren't obviously legally married because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an option then. But I remember this, this like light bulb kind of going off inside my, in my head because, you know, in, in elementary school and middle school, I, I knew that I was attracted to other guys. But at that point I had just kind of assumed I was the only one. And, and so my mom explained that this guy was gay. So suddenly I knew not only that, you know, that, I, I wasn't alone, but that there was actually this word for people like me, and it's called gay. Um, right. And that was kind of the, the moment where I realized, wow, this is who I this is who I am. It still took me several more years before I was um, really willing to come out to my friends, and then eventually to my family. Uh, I didn't come out until I was um, 16 to my friends and 17 to my family, which. You know, nowadays I always talk to to these kids, you know, doing YouTube or at these um, social media conferences, and like they come out when they're 11, 12 years old, and uh, right. they can't understand like why I waited so long. You know, meanwhile, you know, you and I both know in Palm Springs, 
like a lot of the guys that live out here, you know, didn't come out of the closet until they were in their fifties or, or sixties. Um, exactly. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a whole new world now, but it, it took me, you know, it took me, it took me a while. Well, it really is. I mean, I'm, I'm about 10 years plus on you and uh, I remember that I didn't know anyone who was actually gay at my high school. You assumed some of the theater kids were, but you really didn't know anybody back then, let alone come out yourself. It was tough. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And I was at a Catholic high school and went to a Catholic college. So it wasn't like it was like a bastion of like progressive thought and, um, you know, diversity. So I, I, I stuck it out for, for a while. Right. Well, that's so cool though. It's great to, I mean, it's great to see the difference growing up in high school was really hard to come out before high school, usually college, and now your generation starting in mid-high school, and like you said, now they're coming out 11, 12 years old, where their understanding of transgender is, I think, when you talk about learning words and things like that, I think it helps to have such visibility out there right now. Yeah, my well, my boyfriend is 21, and um, he, he, you know, he, he's finishing up his senior year of college and um for him like he just has a completely different perspective around being gay and especially around like masculinity and femininity i think like he presents himself as oftentimes very masculine but then he also paints his nails or you know does puts on a a um you know like a cut off uh like deli shirt um and for him like masculinity and femininity are just these costumes you know he recognizes them for that. the for the mask yeah for like the mask that they are and and he very freely like moves between one and the other and it's just such a healthy perspective um and it's something that i see much more with with younger folks than um people that are younger than me they, they have that ability much more so and then it seems to be like you know the us, us older folks were a little bit more kind of like stagnant and stuck in our um, in our in our mindsets, but I think they're ushering in this whole new paradigm, this whole new way of not just being gay, but this whole new definition for what it means to be a man. It's in, and it's a lot more sustainable. Exactly, I love that. And I don't remember who said it, but I remember hearing the quote that we were all born naked, and everything else is just drag anyway. So, uh, expression is a is a whole whole. Um, varied things. I love that younger people are being able to adopt that right now. It's so empowering, yeah. I think, in helping uh, yeah. you become who you really are. Yeah, and, and it really it really is all drag. I mean, like, think about, like, you put a, a suit and go to work, like, that's drag. Like, that's a costume that right. you're putting on to to shape a perspective about, like, the role that you play and who you are and, and what you want people to think about you. Um, and it's cool to really step back from that and, and, and just see it for for what it is. Exactly. I want to jump into YouTube a little bit here. Um, you came out pretty much out of the gate. I mean, I think YouTube launched in like February of 2005 and your channel was in April of 2006. What were you doing before YouTube and what was your original goal when you started your channel? Well, I'm happy to say that I, that I um, retired my, my dream of being Donald Trump <laughs> from elementary <laughs> school. And that instead I decided to work for a nonprofit organization that um, supported gay and lesbian parents. Um, it was an LGBT family organization called Family Equality Council. So oh, nice. when I graduated college, I, 
I started working there and I did online marketing with them. And um, that was when social media was really just starting. And uh, they gave me a webcam to kind of experiment with. And so I plugged it in and, and uh, when I was at home, I created a YouTube channel and I mean, people today, they create a YouTube channel with the intention of becoming, you know, a celebrity or famous or uh, I just wanted to like document the books that I was reading and basically create like a digital, uh, like some sort of diary that I could go back and look at in 10 or 20 years. Um, And, and it really, it was before YouTube was really anything. No one really knew what it was. So I started creating content and my eighth video uh, I was living in Toronto. I was working remotely, and I made a video about my masturbating neighbor. And millions of people watched that video, and gay men started subscribing to my channel. Uh, and that's when I realized that there was really this um, opportunity, or maybe even a responsibility, to do something to support that the audience. And I kind of felt like, ironically, through my YouTube channel, I was actually able to affect more positive change than I was through my real job, which was, you know, working for this nonprofit. So I kept kind of leaning into YouTube and focusing more of my time and effort on there and scaling back uh, the nonprofit work that I was doing and eventually went into YouTube full-time right around the time that that Google finally bought YouTube and started monetizing the platform. That's amazing. Now, do you ever stop to think about, I mean, you have over 1.1 million subscribers, which I'm sure there was lots more because everything ebbs and flows on there, but almost half a billion with a B views on videos. What does that mean to you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, I mean, it it really, I, I think a lot of like younger kids that become popular on YouTube, they don't have the perspective of like, you know, working in an office and like tweeting something and having you know, no one care what you have to say. Um, it's right. really a privilege to be able to reach so many people in so many different places with the content that, that I create. I mean, I pinch myself every day thinking about that. Um, it's really, it's really pretty remarkable. Um, yeah. I, it's, I can't comprehend what a half billion views is. Like what does that <laughs> even mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's pretty crazy means you're doing damn good stuff, my friend, and people want to see it. I really appreciate it. I mean, I talked about it earlier. I was an early subscriber to your channel, and one of the things I loved most was that authenticity that I talked about. Um, I don't. I never felt that this was kind of like a fame whore type thing like we see so much of today, but you really were trying to make being gay and sex and sexuality a positive thing, a safe thing without shame. Uh, has it ever been a fine line for you to walk on that? Well, you know, it's, it's, I think what's interesting is um, what I see when I go to a lot of the YouTube conferences and, and um, there's even this book that, that someone was writing, they're interviewing me for about becoming like a, a, like famous on YouTube. And also let's, let's also like do a reality check that like 1.1 million subscribers, it's a big number and it feels like a lot to me, but in terms of YouTube, there's like 4,000 channels that have more subscribers than I do. So like on the totem pole, like in, in the world of YouTube, I'm pretty low. Um, but I, I, I think when a lot of people create their channels, often their end goal is uh, like being famous, that the, right. the YouTube channel is a means for them to, to have people know who they are and to get the recognition. And I think when I look, when I look at the people in my life who I really respect that, that have some degree of celebrity, um, 
you know, whether it's a musician, like if, if you like Adele, like Adele did not wake up and say, okay, how can I become famous? Well, maybe I'll sing and, and, and then people will, you know, will tune in. No, she had this incredible right. gift. And when she did that gift, people flocked to her. And um, the fame was a side, you know, side of, it was, it was a, it was a side effect of, of her doing this thing that she loved. And I think with social media, so many people have flipped that on its head. So like their end goal is the fame and then whatever they can do is just a means for getting there. And I think the real question isn't how can I be YouTube famous or how can I be Instagram famous? The real question is like, like what is my gift that I can share with the world? How can I add value to other people's lives? How can I enrich their experience on this planet? And for me, the, the answer to that question, especially at this point in my life, and it's changed over time. Like you mentioned earlier that I did a lot of like travel content and, um, you know, at this point in my life as a 35 year old gay man, what's really interesting is taking a deep dive into my sex and sexuality. Um, and I think so many of us have been conditioned by the porn that we watch, um, over and over and over again that, uh, I think in our heart of hearts, we all know that there's more to, to sex than what we see on yeah. Cody.com. Um, exactly. And for me at this point in my life, it was really an opportunity not just to step through that door, but to share it with my audience and say, you know, here, here's this journey that I'm going on and God, I don't know what I'm going to find, but like hold my hand and like, let's, if you're curious, like let's do this together and, and see where this takes us. I love that. We're going to go all into your new venture in just a bit, but then talk about the travel. Which came first, the love of travel or the opportunities to travel? Because travel can be a hard thing after a while, but have you always had a love for travel or did it kind of just grow organically for you? I don't, I don't love the, the, like the experience, but I, what of, of travel itself, I love, I love, I think I'm a very curious person and I love, like exploring and trying new things and, and meeting new people. And, and um, that's, what's really interesting for me. And so travel is a means to, to, to get there, to, to have that experience. Um, so uh, I think one of the privileges of having a large audience is that some of these opportunities open up for you. Um, and if you're right. reaching a lot of gay men and there's certain hotels or tourism boards that are looking to reach that demographic, um, they know that kind of collaborating is is um, kind of a mutually beneficial relationship. So um, probably up until maybe two years ago, a lot of the content I did was, was travel-focused. Um, and I'd go to these places and meet people and interview them and share that experience with my, uh, with my audience. And, you know, some of them, if they were really inspired by it and they had the resources to do it, they could go there. And if not, you can kind of vicariously get a little taste of whatever that place was. Um, sure. Through the the content that I created. Nice. Um, I want to go through a couple of the highs you've experienced in different categories here. What has been your favorite place to travel to in all your travels? You have a, a favorite location? Yeah, I, I actually it's not like particularly like um, earth shattering. I really like Toronto. Um, you know, it's That's not my favorite a difficult destination. Is it really? Yeah, you like it. It's my favorite. Yeah, it really is. Why? Toronto or Hawaii are my two favorites. Nothing exotic, but I love yeah. those two places. What do you love nice. about Toronto? 
Um, it feels like a clean little New York to me. I think it's like open all the time. It has great transportation. It's got a great uh, LGBT area. Um, I just, I love every part of it. I like that there's water close by. I'm a big water guy. So, you know, it's very cold a lot of the time. I, I like having yeah. uh, all the water stuff. It's just a great city. It does all of my favorite things. It has good food. So it's it's nice. I like it a lot. Yeah, it really does check all the boxes. Uh, and I and I also feel like there's a lightness. Like uh, it, you actually like it almost feels like you're 20 pounds lighter as soon as you cross the border into Canada because like <laughs> you're no longer under like the Trump regime. You like you shed all this like right. nasty. It's just it's progressive. You're right. It's clean. There's a great food culture. There's foreskin. A lot of the guys have foreskin. It's just it's it's fabulous on on many levels. It is a great theater and everything. It was when I first moved here to Northeast Ohio, is when the dollar was really strong. So it was like a buck fifty to every dollar. So I would go over to Canada all the time and get bring two hundred bucks and get three hundred. That pay for my hotel room for the night. Just explore like crazy. It was great. I loved every second of it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great uh, place. Talk about um, your favorite or most um, greatest high you've experienced as far as self-discovery while doing your channel. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think when I started my channel, a lot of the self-discovery that I was doing was around um, my uh, my like, sexual identity, around being, what it means to be a gay man and um, how, especially having a conservative upbringing, how I could learn to love myself in a world that told me I was a sinner and unlovable and less than. Um, and, and in going through that process of shedding that trauma and, um, and really owning who I was, uh, was something, it was an ongoing, I mean, it wasn't like a single aha moment, but by being connected, especially to older gay men, um, in the community, uh, it, it, it was a slow but very meaningful process. I think now, uh, as I had mentioned uh, before, most of the discovery that I'm doing is around uh, sexuality. It's around sex, and um, and that has kind of been this whole completely, I mean, earth-shattering, mind-blowing experience in and of itself. Um, and I, I don't know that had I not been doing this work on YouTube that I ever would have. Um, really, you know, felt compelled to walk through that door uh, and, and, and experience, uh, you know, what I'm experiencing now through the content that I'm creating. Um, but that's, right. that's this project of creating Himro's TV has been by far the most purposeful and, and meaningful project in my life. So I'm really glad to be on this journey. That is awesome. I mean, I really took a, pic, uh, a page from your book, too. When I went to Palm Springs for the first road trip last year, I made sure I checked out the retirement homes there and different things because age, ageism in our LGBT culture has been such a negative connotation until I think, Reese, I think you were one of the people that helped these marginalized groups within the community kind of get some notice and some acceptance. So I thought that was really cool of you and it's really kind of helped inform how I try to do my show and try to do things like that so I really appreciate that part of you yeah thanks well when I talk to older gay guys out on Palm Springs something that they commonly express is that 
they live here because Palm Springs is one of the places where they don't feel invisible, where older gay men don't feel invisible. And, right. and what's, what's so sad about that is that, like, you know, with each generation of gay men, um, it, it's almost like we keep, like, reinventing the wheel. We have to keep discovering, like, truths for ourselves because, you know, my parents are straight. Like, they weren't going to tell me what it means to be a gay man and, and give me advice and, and knowledge. Um, and a lot of us live in places where we're not connected to older gay men or because the community is so siloed, we're not having those conversations. And when I film content with older gay men or even just have conversations, they're so eager and happy and, and excited to share their knowledge and advice and uh, their insights because they've been through, you know, everything that, that we're going through and more. And, um, right. and, and, and there's something, you know, I try to do this through my YouTube content when, when we film with older guys is like, okay, great. So now the next generation doesn't have to start from step zero. We can keep building on the knowledge and the experiences of the, uh, the generations of gay men that have come before us. And that's how you really make, uh, make progress. But so far as those walls are up and, and ageism is reinforced, like it's, it's a lot harder to facilitate that. Right. Very true. Well, again, big hats off to you on that. What has been one of your um, best fan experiences you've experienced over the years doing this? Uh, I, I think the best experience was, um, you know, when my parents discovered my YouTube channel, uh, because I tend to be a little bit, I guess you described it as irreverent, I guess that's a good word, um, <laughs> and authentic in my <laughs> approach. You know, I talk to my audience in a way that I wouldn't necessarily talk to my mom or, or my dad. Like, you know, you try to, I think most of us try to, like, censor ourselves a little bit with our parents. And when they discovered my YouTube channel, which is very uncensored, <laughs> um, they were, I think, a little bit taken, taken aback by it. And my mom really didn't understand what I was doing. Um, but when I was in my late 20s, we were filming a project in Provincetown uh, sometime around my birthday and my mom was there and um, we were like sitting on a, a blanket in a park there. And this uh, gay guy came over, he was a younger guy. And he said that he had like, you know, taken a bus and a ferry and everything to get out there because he knew I was there and he wanted to thank me in person because he had been kicked out of his home and uh, my YouTube videos had really, um, you know, in, in whatever small way had, had brightened his day and helped him get through, um, you know, a really challenging point of his life. And it was just very, very sweet. And he's telling me this. And as I looked over at my mom, she was crying. And it was mm. the first time that I think she understood that, like, these aren't just, you know, silly YouTube videos of her son swearing or talking about sex that, but these videos do have, um, you know, some, look, I'm not curing cancer, but that they do in some small way, um, you know, help other people. And, and so that was my favorite experience, I think, because of what it, what it meant to my mom. Oh, my goodness. That story gave me chills. That's amazing. Um, talk about, um, I mean, you're so busy doing your own stuff now, but talk about other people on the pl platform. Is there anyone that you watch or anyone that you're really excited to see what they're doing on the platform on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube. I think cause it's like that. It, it's like that when, when that's what you do for it's work, it's like, right. yeah. Yeah. 
it's hard to like, I like, I remember when I was a lifeguard, I used to hate going to the beach because it was like, I would just watch the water and like pay attention to everyone swimming. And when I watch YouTube videos, I like critique them and I'm thinking of what they could do differently or what I could do differently or, or why they made this decision. Um, so I, I really don't watch a lot of, <laughs> a lot of other, other content. <laughs> Don't blame you. Um, yeah, it's like when I when I finish my work at the end of the day, I like you know I click on Netflix or something, and I I like being served a different flavor of of, of content. Um, there is a channel, Watch the Safe Word, um, that's pretty good that I enjoy. Um, also, the reality is like there's not a lot of sex positive gay content on YouTube um, for uh, for a number of reasons, um, and and that's really what I'd be interested in seeing. There is a YouTube channel called Tested, which is run by Adam Savage, which um, for people that are into like nerdy stuff, um, uh, that's a really fun channel. Um, but yeah, in terms of gay sex content, it's just, it's, it's, it's pretty limited on there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, let's go ahead and move on then to Himros because I'm so excited about this. It's been a fantastic opportunity to really kind of take the reins even more of your own life on there. What was the impetus to get this started? Tell me how the cha- uh, you decided to start this entire new venture. Yeah. Well, I was on a, um, actually we, we, we called it jokingly a corporate retreat, but um, at the time it was just me and one other employee and we went to Hawaii, uh, your other favorite place. And um, yes, yes. we were doing this kind of creative brainstorming session of like, what we want the next 18 months to look like, um, knowing that a lot of focus on our content has become, you know, around sets. And jokingly, either he or I mentioned something about, like, launching a porn site, and we both just kind of looked at each other and laughed. And then we, like, stopped laughing and looked looked at each other again. And we're like, well, wait, maybe? Is this something we want to do? <laughs> and um, and it was, it was kind of a perfect storm of a lot of things. Uh, YouTube has and this continues to become increasingly restrictive around, um, well, LGBT content in general, but especially sex related content, sex positive content, um, even, you know, sex positive content that's not explicit. The stuff that we upload on YouTube is completely within community guidelines and every day it's still a struggle to um, keep our content on the platform. Um, So, yeah, so facing the restrictions there and knowing that this was content that I wanted to do and I felt like I had, you know, one, if not two hands tied behind my back with YouTube, there really was this need for me to create a platform that I owned where I could show what I wanted to show. And if that means showing a dick, we can show a dick. Um, and uh, it just, we knew that the format had to be, you know, an explicit erotic website. And what we do, it's actually a similar formula as what, what I do on YouTube, which is you take some sort of message, something, um, something meaty and something of value and you package it in a way that people want to see it. And in YouTube, we might do that through humor or, you know, through shirtlessness or whatever. But on, um, on right. Hero's TV, we do that through porn because it turns out that porn is a very good, if you want someone to consume a piece of content, if you package it in a porn video, <laughs> people, people are going to watch it. Um, surprise surprise so I would say that I love porn in general I I enjoy it but I also recognize it for what it is and and I also recognize how most of us use it and um, 
you know, porn is designed to arouse you. It's designed to get you off. It's not designed to teach you how to have pleasurable, fun, fulfilling sex. It's not designed to teach you intimacy. It's not designed right. to help you explore your sex. Um, and and that's not what it's supposed to do. And yet that's how I think a lot of us, myself included, um, you know, use porn is it kind of, you watch it over and over again and it conditions you to think that this is what sex is. And then I know what I did is I, the porn that I watched, I emulated in the bedroom and, um, and I was having a lot of, of, you know, porn inspired bad sex. The thing about bad sex is it still feels pretty good. So, you know, I didn't know, (laughs) but but I was like, you know, this is what I saw on men.com. So this is what I'm doing in my bedroom. And like, this is fun, you know, and, and yeah, in my heart of hearts, I mentioned, I, I kind of knew that there was more. Uh, so years and years ago, I had worked with a tantric coach um, uh, for a website project that I was consulting on, or I, I might've been doing some graphic design work for it or something. Um, this is like even before YouTube. And uh and I connected with that that teacher, and um, we partnered for a kind of a one-off project, and it was about having full-body orgasms. And the idea of a man having a full-body orgasm, which is like, you know, orgasming without ejaculating and orgasming for like five, ten minutes, was so right. far outside of my experience of sex that it was almost like, like I almost couldn't believe it. Like this isn't, this can't be real. And, and then this, this tantric sex instructor taught us, you know, the techniques for doing this. And we filmed it with, you know, with a couple models and we made this really uh, great package, this video package that people really enjoyed. Um, and, and kind of the next step was, you know, inevitably to, to build a platform where we continuously serve uh, really juicy, fun content that you can totally jerk off to, but that also, um, you know, demonstrates a more complete experience of, of, of gay sex. Um, and that could be full body orgasms. It could be different masturbation stroke techniques. could be sex games to play with your lover. Um, you know, there's so many different, uh, different kind of uh, uh, messages and concepts to convey, but, um, that's what we've done. And each week there's a new video that comes up and then we talk about it through a podcast um, where we like apply it to our own lives and talk about our experience with it. So it's really built this community of gay men who, who want more when it comes to sex. Um, yeah. Who don't want to settle, who who think there's more than SeanCody.com. <laughs> I love that. And you've always, like I said, you've always curated your own stuff positive and to teach. And I think this does it. So well, talk about where you find your content. Is it all original, or do you commission videos, or do you accept submissions, or how does that work? Yeah, so um, it, it's a really collaborative approach. We have, uh, I think, about sex, uh, about sex, about six sex instructors um, <laughs> that we work with, and uh, some of them are tantric coaches or sexologists um, or sex, uh, uh, just sex instructors, and, and so we work with that team um, to kind of brainstorm different projects. Uh, like we're doing a project in, um, uh, in two weeks out here in California 
and it's going to be 12 videos about how to be a better lover. And it's based on a tantric oh, nice. program that Jason, it's based on a tantric program that Jason Tantra, um, uh, you know, facilitates with his, um, with his, with his audience. Um, and I'll produce it, but then we've hired a real director and a real cinematographer. And a lot of the people that we, um, that we hire for these projects are people that are outside of the world of porn. So like mainstream directors, people who do documentaries or feature films, and we'll hire like cinematographers from like nature documentaries, you know, people who really bring a different eye to the project. And, um, and we do it with a production value that, I mean, we use the cameras that they shoot, uh, like all the films that were nominated for best picture this year use a specific camera. It's the same one that, that, that we film with. Um, and nice. it's a, it's a complicated clunky camera but it's really cinematic and it and it creates an incredible experience when you're watching the film um and it, it just you know each video concept that we do takes anywhere from three to six months to fully develop uh so wow. it's yeah there's, there's a lot of thought and a lot of um intention that goes into each each video and you know some people get really excited by the content and some people um, are frustrated by the ways that it's different from traditional porn. Um, but uh, I, I always say it doesn't really like replace watching porn. I think for me, it complements it. It's, um, it gives a more kind of complete experience of, of, of right. gay sex and sexuality. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Now talk about your learning curve on this. What's it like to run this subscription service that you started Um Talk about that with all the free streaming out there and everything. Um, how, what kind of a business curve has it been? Are you able to translate your YouTube into getting subscribers? Do you think the subscription way is the way to go? We have so many individual channels now, like Disney and ESPN doing their own streaming stuff. Is that the way to go these days? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we have a very unique value proposition. There are a lot of porn sites. You can get free porn on Pornhub. Um, but what we're serving is really um, like something that can enhance your experience of, of sex. And I think if you're, if you're looking to get that from traditional porn, it's not going to happen. In fact, I think traditional porn, if you emulate right. it, it's going to not be constructive to sex. It's probably going to be destructive to your experience of sex. Um, so it's really, I don't think people look at it so much as, as a, like another service to subscribe to. I think they look at it as like an investment um, in themselves and in sex. Like you're not paying for, you know, the videos that you get each month so much as you're paying for the enhancement to the sex that you have. Um, I, I think right. that's kind of how people look at it. And it's like, it's like, I mean, I kind of actually look at Grinder the same way. It's like, you know, what is it? $7 a month or $10 a month. Well, you know, like if I hook up with a guy or two from Grinder each month, it's, it's worth seven bucks. Like I'm, I'm, I'm paying for the, <laughs> you know, the ability to connect with, you know, guys in my area that I think might be hot. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's probably a similar uh, mentality, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of people, um, it is a stumbling block because I think a lot of us think like, okay, porn should be free. We should be able to watch it on, on Pornhub. But this is, is it's like, we always say it's like porn, but it's better because you're getting, you're getting something else along with it. I love that. I think that's a great way to describe it. Let's finish up um, talking about 
how you said you're in a relationship. I've seen your boyfriend, very cute and everything. You guys have an open relationship. Is that about, I think you'd almost need that um, to be talking about these kind of situations. Have you found that better to be open? Have you always had open relationships? Does that work best for you? Or what do you think the advantages are? Yeah, I've, I've always had open relationships. Um, I did do an experiment for three months to see what like monogamy felt like. Um, and it was, it was not for me. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think, I think actually what's, what's really important is like when I was growing up, there were not examples of healthy, gay, open relationships. The only thing that I was right. taught was like, it's, it's a man with a woman in a monogamous relationship. And, and the reality is like we as gay men know that that's not for us. So we, you know, we're attracted to other men. So we're already deviating from like the traditional formula that we've been fed. Um, and I would encourage gay men to really keep asking questions and, and to find out what works for them. And um, different people, different things are going to work for different people in different situations. And that might be an open relationship. It might be a three-way relationship. It might be no relationship. Um, to really feel empowered to discover what it is that works for you um, and, and anyone else that you might choose to bring into your life. Uh, and so I uh-huh. emphatically talk about being in an open relationship because I want people to know that that's an option for them. And, and um, I know that there's a lot of people and uh, positions where they have large audiences that are also in open relationships and they don't talk about it because they want to fit into this very like heteronormative narrative. Like, look, I'm just like everyone else. And I want to be able to work with Walmart and Johnson and Johnson and all these family friendly brands. And, if they're authentic about the way that they really share their love with each other, um, then you know, they're afraid that that's not going to be an option. And um, I just want people to know that, that sexual exclusivity is not the only currency of commitment. You can express commitment through being there for your partner, through understanding, through communication, um, through love, through support. And, and that's what, um, that's what my boyfriend and I do. And, and you're right, like in creating this content that I'm doing, if we had a very monogamous relationship, it would still be, you know, it would still be possible. But um, I think the openness of our relationship really gives each of us the opportunity to explore um, our sexuality in a way that's a little bit more free. And also, I mean, he lives in Massachusetts and I'm in Palm Springs and, um, but even when we are together, we, we, um, you know, we enjoy exploring. We had our first threesome, you know, just a week and a half ago together. Uh, and it was really nice. fun and a great learning experience. And it was really fun to like watch my partner experience pleasure from another person. And um, I didn't feel ownership and I didn't feel jealousy. I was just happy for him. Um, and, yeah. And I really. That is very that. cool. Very healthy. I love that. Well, my friend, yeah. I appreciate it. It's taken me a long time to get you on. And like I said, I've been listening for a long time. We're running out of time here. Thanks for everything you've done. Really, like I said, I think you've always been a positive force and everything you did. And you've made a, a subject that's rough for some people, very accessible. For Thanks for all your hard work on that, my friend. Yeah, and thanks for doing the work that you do. I, I really appreciate it. And, and also, I'm grateful that you had me on the show today. Well, we'd love to have you back another time. Give everyone, in case they've been around for 12 years, where they can find your YouTube channels and give them where they can find Himros. Yeah, so just type into YouTube, Davey Wavy, D-A-V, 
E-Y, W-A-V-E-Y, and you will find me. Himros is the word him and then Eros, so H-I-M-R-O-S dot TV. Fantastic. Pleasure talking to you. Stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to wrap things up today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow. I'm very excited. Tomorrow, for my first interview at 510, we're going to have openly gay mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is running for president of the United States on for a 45-minute CNN's town hall to the punch. So be sure to tune in for that tomorrow. We're going to play out a little bit with our buddy Trevor Page with Warrior. Davey Wavy, thanks for being on the Left to Straight Show. I'll talk to you in just a minute here. Thanks. Yeah.